my life just got to the point, you guys, where it was like, I hated myself so bad. And I just knew that my life was being destroyed at my own hands. And there is a very special kind of realization when you know you're killing yourself and you also know that you can't do shit about it and that there's no way that you can stop it. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. (laughs) It's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realize it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. I've never done a trail run in my life. I don't know. Why I was I've said literally that. just thinking that I was like, I never ran on a trail. No. It's like too much. It is too much. Feels good on your joints though. Does it? Mm-hmm. How would you know? <laughs> I'm in commercials. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, that must be nice in your joints. Hey guys, you're just popping in. Hey We're just guys. talking about trail running here just, over at almost I just 30. Showered at Lindsay's. I'm in her robe. <laughs> Some may think We're living that's the gross, life. but <laughs> I think I'm balling. We share everything. Literally so nice. This robe is so amazing. It's the best. My mom, so it's actually, it's like a bitchy robe. It's from the Ritz-Carlton. She got it for me for my birthday. You order it on ritzcarlton.com. Really? How much? Oh, it's probably probably like a hundred something. Damn. But like- I would just steal it. Yeah, but then they charge you. Mm, That's rude. Taking it from the room. That's rude. But I love being in a robe. Me you know? too. So it's like I, I've had a lot of shitty robes in my day. I'm my most authentic self in a robe. Same. Yeah, this is like a towel robe. Mm-hmm. You know, I've yeah. I, I've bought like short robes. I'm like, oh, this is like a sexy robe. I never wear. I did that in college. Never. So like the Same. boys would come over to study. I'd be in my short robe. Fuck me. Let her. Like that's actually embarrassing. <laughs> it was the zip up Ew, Victoria's Secret one. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. The pink with the terry cloth yes. and the hood and the long sleeves. Doing too much. Taking shots of raspberry Smirnoff in that. I hate that. Goodbye. Ew, you want to hear something really gross? Yes. One time I was in high school and a boys were coming over and I mm. like was like in my brown underwear by the window and I literally waited for them by the window <gasps> and they were going to come to the, because the front door yes. was below my window. And so I was like, oh, they're going to see me in the window. Yeah, fuck. That's hilarious. That's actually what prostitutes do. <laughs> <laughs> like actual <laughs> prostitutes literally- Wait in the window. And wait in the window for like their customers. Damn. Ew. Sick nasty. <laughs> Sick nasty, girl. You nasty. That's hilarious though. I mean, but the shit that we did. Pew. If I think about- how much my tits were out in high school. Versus now. I mean- You wouldn't even know I have tits. Honestly, I never showed them. Same. Literally. I don't like it's, I mean, I don't have any, but it's like, uh, why did I feel like it was something to use? Uh Uh-huh. To like draw people 
in. Well, you wanted to like be validated. It was like all the guys were talking about tits and ass or like, you know, oh, she has boobs, Mm -hmm. you know, and you wanted them to look at it because you wanted to be seen as pretty or whatever. It's terrible. I mean, how do you, I'm trying to think of how you would like replace that. You know, like how would you make a girl feel valued enough or validated enough where she didn't need that? You know, what is that? Because is it a phase that everyone goes through where they feel like they need to be validated by dudes and like checked out or? I think it starts at home too. Yeah, my dad. I'm not. Al- my I'm dad not always that. looked at my boobs. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Meaning, kidding. meaning, meaning. Just Joshin. Yeah, but meaning like, I mean, my parents would never talk about like. I, I guess it was. I don't know. I guess they just expected me to understand. Understand, but like, mm-hmm. it would have been cool to. And my parents did a great job. Yeah, but it would have been cool to have a conversation, rather than be like, "Don't wear that" or don't wear too much makeup. Like the don't, don't, don't. It's like, hey, this is kind of like how we feel about it. And like, maybe you should think a little more critically about like, why are you doing Mm -hmm. that? Why are you wearing that low cut shirt with a push-up bra? Totally. You know, you have an amazing, you have amazing 15 year old body. Totally. (laughs) Um, You know, you are athletic. Like you can like really express yourself in that way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I wish there was like more conversation there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Instead of like, don't, like why? And like understanding. The don't just made me mad and want to do it anyway. Yeah. I would just bring him out when I got to the movie theater. I don't know what I even showed. I actually had the vice principal tell me that I had the most dress code violations of the entire school. I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> best dressed. That, that's Sorry, I, I was like best that's dressed. A, a feat. Like that takes a that's lot. That's a feat. You know? I had like one time a, like a teacher told another female teacher to tell me to like put it in, put my boobs <laughs> in. Reel it in. That's real mm. sad. That's what I would probably say to myself. Like, hey, like, what do you, when an old man, <laughs> when an old man who's a teacher looks at you like that, how do you feel? Mm. You know, you'd be like, ew. And it's like, well, there's old men here. Yeah. So can't, hi- you know, you got to think about that. Save and it for the weekends, sister. We, we would hike up our, our uh, uniform skirts. I went to an all-girls school. Ooh. Who the fuck was I so doing So they'd be that shorter? For? Yeah. Just to show other girls? Exactly. Why well, did we do yeah. it? yeah. I mean, the, the, well, that was probably a fashion thing too. Like the skirts were so long. It was like embarrassing. <laughs> like a kilt. It was like, literally a kilt. Like hit your knees. But now I'd be like rocking that shit. I'd be like, this is the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just had a very clear visual of you in my school uniform. Killing it. With it down to your knees. Down to my knees, rocking it. Wearing Nike sneaks or something. Hairiest, hairiest legs. <laughs> hairiest on, legs on the planet. On plant on the planet. That was the best part. But yeah, back then you would just roll it up a hundred times. Like your Sophie shorts. You'd roll mm-hmm. your Sophie shorts up a hundred zillion times. Sophie shorts are the gym ones. Yep. Yeah. That were like soft and cheerleaders mm-hmm. worn. It said like MHS. Those on never the back. looked Comments. good on me, which is like, I was just like, why well, don't, because I'm not a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they, look, they looked very good on like tiny bodies. Teeny, teeny, tiny. Yeah. I don't even know. We were athletes. It's funny because I can now, like you would say, you'd be like, oh, those never look good on me. But it's like, I bet if you looked at look yourself, back. literally, you'd be like, whoa, those look amazing on Damn, you, that skinny arm. Yeah, look at that. You'd be like, wow, you look amazing, girl. I don't know how to transition. Yeah. Do well, fashion. Fashion. We were talking about fashion trends. Um, so today we have on Luke's story Our of- BFF. 
BFF. BFF. So like I was Actual BFF. watching Luke's story from afar for a little while, listening to his podcast, loving his podcast. Love him. It grew like so quickly. Mm-hmm. He's killing he it. He deserves it. He deserves it. He um he hosts the Lifestylist podcast. And, you know, he was in fashion for I don't even know, 15 years, Long time. even more. Mm-hmm. Um, as a uh, celebrity stylist. Mm-hmm. But what we really get into, so just so you know, this is a two episode week. This is mm-hmm. Luke's story week on mm-hmm. the Almost 30 podcast. We have two Luke story episodes. Um, and in this first episode, we really do a deep dive into his life before getting sober, mm-hmm. which was so shocking. Interesting. So interesting, shocking. And, and what's just so like, I love being around Luke because, and as you'll hear, like for him to have lived through what he's gone through mm-hmm. and come out the other side and to be a successful human in society now is, I mean, he lives every day. Like he's like, I'm not, he's like, it's a great day. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm not near death. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, trying to find drugs. Like mm-hmm. I, this is a great day. And you feel that when you meet mm-hmm. him, he's just so excited about mm-hmm. everything. Um, be it has that common thread too. Be it too. Absolutely. Be it that episode. Two reasons why I love Luke. The first was when we were emailing him to meet us. He emailed and responded tight. Oh my God. He said tight. I'm obsessed with you. He goes tight obsessed with you. And then the second was when we were late, what, when we were late, when we went to his house to record the second one, what did he say? He's like, awesome. He's like, he's like, I'm never on time. Yeah. We were like, like Hey, we're going to be late. He's like, awesome. I'm never on time. Like that works. Love that. It was, yeah. He's like, love that. I'm never on time. (laughs) It was like, just so amazing. And he makes me so feel so comfortable. Mm -hmm. He makes me laugh. Like belly laugh. He's funny, dude. He's funny. Yeah. Oh, man. So this is good. This is like just engaging, interesting story about his addiction, about his journey, unlike anything I've ever heard. And then we talk a little bit about the end about supplements that he takes. So if you guys follow him um, on Instagram, you may know that he's a biohacker and he's doing amazing things with his health. So he tells us about supplements that I have literally never Never heard of. Heard of. That are they dig them out of the earth in like Timbuktu and then they chop insane. a tree down. It's like in the roots of the tree. Like I don't even know. They're insane. So like you're gonna have to slow that down and listen to it a few times to get some of the supplements that he talks about. But in the episode two that we'll talk about later this week, we go into more detail about like health, wellness, and biohacking and stuff. But this is just gonna be really engaging. We're really excited for you to listen. Yes. Yes. Um, please join our secret Facebook group. If you mm-hmm. haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. If you're not subscribed, it's important to us that you subscribe because mm-hmm. we can get more guests like Luke on the podcast, more sponsors that align with um, what we are doing, what we believe in, what we love. Um, Grab the phone of everyone you know and subscribe. Yes. And we subscribe on their phones. Yeah. Actually, someone did that the other day. They said they took everyone's I phone went to at T-Mobile. Lunch. It was like so Susie. cute. Susie said she went to T-Mobile Sus. and she put all the sample phones on fucking Almost 30. Come on. Too much. Too much. Checks in the mail, girl. Almost 30 Nation is- Too much. The best. Too much. Too Our much. best friends. Love you so much. Um, and please call us. We now have a hotline where you can call and leave a message. If you have a question, if you need advice, if you want to talk about a topic, our number is one four two four. 
1-424-272-1853. Leave a message. You can be anonymous. You can be yourself. You can be anyone you want to be, but we want to hear from you and we'll put it on the podcast. Really exciting. We're so excited about this. I think Pumped. this is one of the highlights of 2018. I agree. So please, please call. With you. Mm-hmm. All right. Love you. Enjoy this. Enjoy. Well, we've been admiring you from afar for a long time, and we're just so blown away by what you've done with your podcast in the last year. I came and saw you at uh, Soho House in West Hollywood. You were speaking there, and your story is just fascinating. We'll dive into it. But I don't know. For us, like, of course, we we love our community, but it's just been such a joy, like, watching other podcasters Mm -hmm. kill it. And inspire us in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, your podcast is completely different than ours. And that's, we love it so much. And we're learning so much from your podcast. Mm -hmm. And even our listeners in our um, Facebook group are talking about your podcast too. They have some questions for you. But um, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's been, so it's been really cool to see you grow so quickly. And um, yeah, I would love to, um, for our listeners who don't know who you are, to kind of take it back to how you got into this space. I know it's quite the story, but we got time. That's uh, cool. I think it's like... I have time too. <laughs> the, the first thing is, thank you for listening to the show and coming to the event. I am mm-hmm. like flabbergasted that people are... Not, not to be like self-deprecating or falsely humble, but I'm actually just surprised in a way that so many people have resonated with my podcast and the stuff that I'm doing. I'm just... I'm just like having fun fucking mm-hmm. around basically, yeah. you know, just mm-hmm. like, this is just my passion. It's what I like doing. So the fact that you and other people are deriving benefit from it is, is yeah. meaningful. So I appreciate that. And I'm also excited to be here with you too, because I love geeking out with other podcasters. Like yes. we could do a whole other show just about so marketing true. a podcast mm-hmm. and like how you guys do this and how you do that. There's so much to learn. I have a show coming out in two weeks with a uh, uh, a couple that has a show called the Ultimate Health Podcast. And oh yeah, I've, I've heard yeah. of that. Yeah, Marnie and Jesse, really great people. And I did an interview of them and I had all kinds of other shit planned, but we ended up doing a podcast essentially on the strategy of making a health podcast successful mm-hmm. and monetizing it and stuff. So I don't know how it fits into my format, mm. but it was just what I wanted to talk about. So, yeah. And I think people, I mean, I get questions all the time about it. Like, yeah, I, I like consult on it because so many people want to start podcasts. You know, people are like getting into it. So it is like right. a hot topic. It but is. for us, it's like, you know, we'll help people as much as possible. But podcasting is not as easy as oh my people God. think. People have no idea. They're like, yeah. I know how to speak English and press yes. record. I'm like, yes. no, dude. Yeah, they're like, I can talk. <laughs> You know, it's funny you mentioned like, that because today, and I haven't forgotten about your question. No, not way. at all. You know how you're, we're podcasters. We know. We know. Uh, we, we, know we're, we're, <laughs> we ride the wave. We're swinging back around to the, the original <laughs> question, but this is just fun. Today, I was doing my intros and outros for a show I have next week with Ruby Warrington from The Numinous, which I'm really excited about. It was a long interview I did in New York, like two hours. And mm. so, you know, I'm going through and listening to it and getting sound bites and doing my outline. So when I pitch the show in the beginning. Hey, this is what the show's about. This is who this girl is, et cetera. And I just had the idea, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to put this on Instagram because on Instagram live, because this is so embarrassing to see like the behind Mm -hmm. the scenes and how I get so flustered and pissed and (laughs) fucking I'm keep messing (laughs) up. And you know, like I try to be clever and it doesn't work out and I delete it. And I just, I go through hell, like doing my intros and outros and all Uh the bumpers and stuff. So I was like, you know what? It'd be really actually cool to 
show people the authentic version of this and how I put the promos in and how much I get paid to put each ad in. I mean, I did this Insta Live that was like so transparent and it was really informative for anyone that wants to start a podcast because mm. I'm like, this is the bullshit part of it that you have to do. You guys as listeners only hear the super sexy, clean, edited, fun, good times me and the guests are having. Then yeah. I got to go home with those files and like figure out how to make it all make sense, you know? So I, I had And you re- edit it all? No, no, I have a sound editor. Okay, cool. I just curate, you know, of course, the yeah. intros, outros, the bumpers, things I want to promote. Uh, you know, there's always like now, so I'll do like a... Um, a mid-roll plug where I'm plugging like the store on my website or my coaching program or something. I didn't do that for the first year, really. I didn't pitch anything. I just said, here's free content. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, cool, here's free content. And maybe you could buy something from me at Mm -hmm. some point. Yeah. (laughs) So I can pay for the shit. But I definitely like give more than I ask for. But no, so it's it's all that stuff that people Mm. don't realize. They're Mm -hmm. like, oh, I could get guests and like I'm a good conversationalist, but there's really a lot of strategy involved and there's just, there's a lot of work, is there not? I mean, it's like, dude. And the communication part too, whether it's with guests or sponsors and if you're putting on events, like it's just, it's a lot. And if you don't have, you know, the help to do it, it, you know, in those like, in those first six months, it's overwhelming and you could give up at any point. It's like, well, it hasn't been happening for that long. So I could give up and just let it go. But there's something about podcasting that Mm -hmm. is just, it's like fire. I don't know. It's, you get a lot from putting out so much. Mm. Totally. You know what? You know what it's been for me more than anything? And again, I apologize for totally ignoring your actual question, but whatever. <laughs> I'm just like not going to ask it again. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap that one up. But you know what's been interesting about having a show? I think I, I'm excited because I get to talk to fellow podcasters. Yeah, and you guys are killing it too. Your show's doing Thanks. so well. I mean, it's fucking amazing. But is, uh, is that it's been such a vehicle for transformation for me because it's the first time I've ever sort of publicly put myself out there. And and due to the nature of my content and the guests, my shows tend to be very intimate and just revealing. I mean, even from the first episode I did, I talked about my history of addiction and all sorts of things I've never publicly shared at all. And I just went fucking mm-hmm. all in. And it was just, I just made a decision. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it in a way that's very real and authentic yeah. and, and be completely transparent. And uh, and I've and I've done that. So as a result, it's been such a vehicle for growth and, and my own evolution in a year. I've, I've evolved so much from the guests that I've been able to interview and just from having the summoning the courage to kind of just Mm. put myself out there and Mm -hmm. be real and be myself and let people judge me and like me or not like me or whatever. So how I got to where I am, here's the story. See if I can summarize this. I, I had kind you know, I feel weird saying I had a rough childhood. I mean, anyone that was born in a human body had their own version of a rough childhood. I know 0.0 people that had healthy, perfect parents. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think everyone has suffered some degree of trauma. And as as I always quote Bob Marley, every man's burden is the heaviest, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like, you might've been beaten within inches of your life as a child and your childhood sucked. Mine, I was never, you know, physically abused uh, in a violent sense, but went through a lot of trauma and divorced parents and just grew up in kind of a downtrodden area. And there was a lot of drugs and crime and I had just a lot of behavioral problems in school and was arrested numerous times and just was just a really confused, messed up kid. And I experienced 
the trauma that I experienced and the way that I dealt with it was going to drugs really, really early, eight, nine years old. I'm doing coke, like going hardcore, you know? Where'd to you me, get it? where'd I get it from? Everyone's parents. Oh, really? Including my own. Where'd yeah. you grow up? What city? Uh, I've, I've yet to grow up. I always say <laughs> 47-year-old <laughs> infant in many ways. But uh, I lived as a kid mostly in Northern California in Sonoma County. Oh, okay. And then I was born in Aspen, mm-hmm. Colorado. Uh, I lived there for five years, then moved. My mom and dad got divorced and I moved with my mom to California, which in the 70s, which is so... I mean, probably still is, but Northern California was just so full of drugs because what had happened was all of the hippies moved out of the hate in San Francisco at the end of the 60s, Summer of Love, that shit crashed. They all like got into harder drugs and moved north and dealt them and imported them and grew them. And so the environment that I was around when I was a kid was just, it was just really drug infested. And there were Hell's Angels in my house and crystal meth and just, it was just gnarly. Wow. So as a way of dealing with feeling different and uncomfortable, I just started using, you know, and I did that until I was uh, 26. Wow. Nine to 26? What's that? Nine years old to 26. Well, there was a two-year break because I got shipped away to like a reform school where there was no drugs to be had, unfortunately, at that time. (laughs) Yeah. What is that? Like, how how do you like come off of that as like a young kid? Like, is the withdrawal the same? Well, you know, when when I first, like the first time I had a little clean break when I was 14, I was 14 to 16 and I got sent to this crazy cult. I mean, we could do four episodes on that fucking weird school. It's called Rocky Mountain Academy and it was a bizarre place. Uh, Lawsuits and all sorts of experimental types of therapy and and discipline for the kids and all. Yeah, yeah. On Facebook, if you look up Rocky Mountain Academy, there's groups that are big Grads call themselves survivors, like <gasps> survivors of CDU. Can you give an example? I mean, I was down with it because I was so hurt. And so yeah. uh. I just, I wanted help, you know. And when I got there, I received a lot of love from the staff and the other kids. And I mean, I felt that I belonged and I I didn't fight it. You know, I was really in, in a bad place and, and I found the therapy and stuff helpful. But mm. for example... There were things where you were punished by like being sent off into the woods by yourself and having to like, like dig uh, trails around in the snow and just weird stuff like that. And there were things called raps, which were these group therapy sessions. And it was mixed. There was boys and girls and the age ranges would, I think I was the youngest kid there at 14. Most people went in around 16 and then they'd get out when high school graduation would have happened. Mm -hmm. So I was a little early just because I got into crime and I got basically mandated to go away by the court of Pitkin County in Aspen, Colorado, because I had multiple felonies uh, stacked against me. And I was on probation, either had to get sent somewhere or they were going to send me to a juvenile detention center from 14 and they were going to lock me up until I was 18. So they're like, either you get out of our state and stop messing with our law or we're going to lock you up for real. So I go to the school, but some of the other things were these raps where you'd be in there with these young teenage girls and teenage boys, and you'd have to like confess things that you were ashamed of. So you would talk about like weird sexual stuff you had done or being sexually abused in like great detail in front of groups of people, which is not necessarily healthy or safe if the facilitators aren't highly trained and qualified to explore those areas. And these people were not. I mean, the counselors there were just like 
retired hippies and stuff that were, I don't know, armchair therapists, like very Holy few of them shit. had any real qualifications. So you had things like that. And then during the rap sessions, you'd have um, situations in which kids would need to be disciplined. And so the <gasps> facilitator would like just scream at kids until they would start crying. And then there was all sorts of experiential therapy and emotive therapy where you'd punch pillows and there was things, there was like this one thing where you did a mock death for yourself, where you wrote your own obituary and they would keep you up for like three or four nights and sleep deprive you. And then do these like mock deaths where you would have to read your obituary and you'd, oh my God. And you'd like feel like shit because you were such a bad person and such it's an like F up. And so you got to die and then be reborn. rush. Yeah. And then there'd be like things where you would like, they do the sleep deprivation. They called them profits, which were these super intensive all night. They'd go on for two, three, four nights and they wouldn't let you sleep. They'd bump you and give you coffee and like sleep deprive you. Yeah. In order to brainwash you. That sounds like my hell. In a positive, you know, but they were like brainwashing you with like to believe in yourself and you know, have courage and learn how to be honest and have integrity. Totally. I mean, the intentions were good. Most people are like, pick up basketball. Believe yeah. in yourself. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> They're sleep so depriving remember, you and like... Yeah, there was this coffee. one time where you had to talk about like how you were sexually abused or beat up or whatever and like all... And then all of the bad things you had done. Like in my case, I, I robbed a lot of people mm -hmm. and just did horrible things to people out of desperation and whatever. Um, so you would like confess all of your sins and they'd get you crying. And this is after like three or four nights of not sleeping and them just nudging you and keeping you awake. And then you have your eyes closed. And then they would have, they had your parents send in a photo of you when you were in your innocent phase. Like for me, it was three or four years old. At five, I went downhill, you know, I was mm -hmm. abused and then everything just went to shit. So you're crying and then they like tap you and hand you this picture of yourself as a four-year-old kid when you were like, in your prime and then they start playing John Lennon Imagine and the whole fucking room is just crying their guts out. Wow. So those were this like... This is everything. <laughs> yeah. So those were like a couple <laughs> of the things and I still know some of the kids, you know, we're all in our 40s now but I still, there's a like my friend Abe Grossman, he lives in Venice, he's a musician and does real estate and shit and he was like in my class. There's a few of us around still. Some of Whoa. them, Whoa. some of the survivors, quote unquote, have committed suicide, some are in prison. Some are doing quite well. I managed to, you know, event. I mean, I came out and then got myself in a lot more trouble, but eventually managed to, to continue on with the story. That's just like I said, we could go off on we that will. place for a while. It's, that could be a movie. We're gonna call it the Rocky it's, Mountain episode. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty fascinating. <laughs> so you liked Rocky Mountain. Rocky Mountain Academy, you know, it saved my life. I mean, I was headed for the prison system. No fucking joke. I mean, I'm not even being dramatic. Yeah. I was one crime away from getting locked up from 14 to 18. And I really believe that had I not been sent there, I was already total drug addict, breaking into houses, robbing houses. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was a disaster. So I would definitely have broken the law again and would have gotten locked up until um, I was 18. Because the way it works is like when you... If you've been a law-abiding citizen, you don't know this, but when you're a criminal, when you commit most crimes, what the courts do is they stack on all of these different felonies. Mm. And so when I broke into this house and got caught, it's not just like you get charged with the felony of breaking and entering. You get grand theft, you get larson, you get, you know, uh, all of these, you know, mm. theft, all these, like yeah. all these different felonies. And so then that's where plea bargains come in. And that's where like, okay, I admit that I broke into the house, but I'm not going to admit the grand theft, which would have been like, you know, 
uh, items valued at over $5,000 or whatever. So you like cop a plea basically in order to get out. So you admit some things and some things you don't admit. But in so doing, the things that you admit go on to your record and then your probation term will get longer, more or less strict based on how many felonies you have stacked against you. So at that point, they were like, cool, dude, you have six felonies and you're 14 years old. You do one more thing and then we're going to charge you for all of the felonies, including the new one. And then you're going away until you're 18. So when I got sent to that place, I mean, it was very traumatic because it I perceived it to be an abandonment because my parents basically shipped me away and just mm-hmm. gave me away. That's what it felt like. I didn't realize that at the time. But as an adult, I go, wow, I was like seriously fucking abandoned multiple times mm-hmm. by my parents who were doing the best they could. So to me, even though that place was fucked up and crazy, it saved my life because when I got out, I had some moral compass that I didn't have before. Like I had no problem breaking into someone's house and stealing all their shit. I was just like, fuck them. I mean, it didn't even occur to me that that was wrong, you know? That's the level of consciousness I had. So when I got out of Rocky Mountain Academy, I had been reformed and brainwashed. And so I never did anything like that ever again. I just became an addict and dealt drugs and drove hookers around and (laughs) did all kinds of crazy stuff. But I never robbed anyone again. And I really, I never burned anyone. I never ripped anyone off. Like even in drug deals, I was always fair. Like we'd split it up and, you know... I sold drugs and I didn't burn people. Like I, I was still a, I became a good guy. I just was horribly addicted after that. So yeah. Anyway, that's probably a Wait. good thing to get on. <laughs> no, on the I get. Yeah. So, okay, so you leave Rocky Mountain High. Are we recording? Yeah, we're recording. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Oh, we are. Okay. So you oh, yeah, leave we... Rocky Mountain High and you. I'm like, wait, we were recording that. You're like, yeah. of course. Yeah. And then you still be, you go, you, you go back to being an addict. Well, yeah, you know the the. Real tragedy about that school, and they had a sister school in San Bernardino, which I always wished I was at because I hated. This was in northern Idaho, the one I got sent to. Like, I mean, it's a logging town called Bonner's Ferry. In fact, it was so remote that they didn't have to have fences or walls or anything to keep the kids in because if you ran away, (laughs) it was too far to get anywhere. You'd die like on the trail trying to walk away from the encampment, you know? And they'd send these kid bounty hunters after you if you tried to escape. So you just, Fuck. <laughs> yeah, you just kind of surrendered to the fact that you're there. But yeah, when I got out, you know, the, I think the shortcoming of that, I mean, there are many shortcomings of those schools and that system that they had. I mean, it was, a, it was also really expensive. Like I was in there with one of the Walton kids, oh, like the yeah. Walmart family. Yeah, yeah. Barbara Walter's daughter was in there. I'm going to out her right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry um, but I mean, Barbara's like... Barbara's a listener, so she's going gonna... to... It was... <laughs> it, it was... I don't... I've asked my dad how much it was. I mean, it, this is in the early 80s. I think it was like five grand a month or... Wow. You know, it was, That's so much. It was a lot. It was a lot of money. It was, for, it was for fucked up rich kids. I wasn't a rich kid, but my dad had done okay and... He was barely able to afford it, I think, because after it was a two-year program and maybe close to the two years, six months before that or something, he was like, yo, I have to pull you out. I can't afford this anymore. And then they worked out some kind of deal with him uh, because I didn't want to leave. I was like, no, I'm scared to leave unfinished. Mm -hmm. But anyway, what the major shortcoming was is that they really didn't have an understanding of alcoholism and drug addiction. Mm -hmm. And I was already a full-blown addict. And even frankly, like probably an alcoholic, even at 14, even though it wasn't my main jam, I still drank very alcoholically. In fact, when I got busted for breaking into that house that finally did me in, 
I broke in with my little homeboy to try and find weed because they were growing weed on the porch. That was like what flagged me to go into the house and try mm. and get more. <laughs> and I went in and they had no weed, but they had this brandy. And so I went and took the brandy and I was like, I don't like alcohol, but if I didn't have weed, I had to have something because I felt so uncomfortable. I was so addicted. So we took it back to my garage a few houses down got fucking hammered and then went back to the house to steal more shit. And then the people came home and we were all sloppy, drunk, teenage kids robbing their house. So the shortcoming of the school was when you got out, they didn't like send you into a 12-step program or a rehab. They were just like, cool, go back and like be a preppy now. Don't wear your Ozzy Osbourne shirt and like have earrings, like be a good kid and just go hang out with the jocks and preppies back at high school. And I went back into high school and I was like, I still hate these jerks. Mm-hmm. So I just went back to the trench coat mafia, like punk rock kids that did drugs and tried for a while to not do the drugs and just hang out with the cool outcast kids again. And eventually, obviously, I fell into it. So uh, that was really the the main thing I think that was lacking in that school. If they had said, listen, you know, you've already crossed this line and you'll never be able to smoke weed again without ending up yeah. on heroin or something, which eventually happened. But it all, you know, works out like it's supposed to in the end because I moved to Hollywood at 19. I think I was here two weeks and then I started doing heroin and crack. I was like, this is the best ever. Totally. <laughs> I was like, I'm away like, from my parents. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I mean, I can finally do the drugs that I read about, you know, in my rock and roll biographies and stuff. I was like, Johnny Thunders does smack. Keith Richards does smack. I'm in, you know. Totally. And um, I never was, I never thought crack was anything to be proud of. <laughs> mm-hmm. No one cool did that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, it was around. And, You're like, we're my crack lovers. Yeah. Now. Yeah, it was, a, like... it was a, you know, what used to happen to me is I would get drunk and then I would do blow because I was playing in bands. Mm. And this is like 89, 90 Hollywood Sunset Strip, like all the hair metal stuff was kind of dying out. And it was like the Jane's Addiction days. Guns and Roses were kind of still on the scene, but there was Jane's Addiction and there was this new sort of breed of rock that wasn't hair metal. And it was kind of incorporated punk and metal. And there was kind of a cool, like dirty rock and roll scene going on in Hollywood. And, um, so I got caught up in all of that and I would, everyone did blow and I would do coke and I would get so bored. So I'd be drunk and I'd like do some lines and I'd just be like, oh my God, this is not strong enough. I mm. need to be like out. And then I would end up smoking crack, which mm. is so, that was the most demoralizing time in my entire life. I mean, there's honestly, I don't think there's anything worse that you can experience than that drug and knowing you're Why? a total... Because you just know you're being such a loser. You know yeah. what, I mean? what did you like, have to do to get it? Like, is it hard to get or you would just know? Hand jobs on Santa Monica Boulevard was the worst. Totally kidding. Just like oh you guys out. <laughs> <laughs> Should have seen your face. <laughs> she, she missed it. I missed it. I said, how did you, oh. <laughs> how did you get these like hand jobs on Santa Monica Boulevard? You should have seen, seen your face. What was it like? <laughs> no, you know, you know what, you know what I did to survive in the drug years is I, I figured out in high school, actually, the way that you don't run out of drugs, because what, well, I was a bus boy, I made like $5 an hour, how was I going to afford my habits? Yeah. So I started selling drugs in high school. Um, and that's what I did when I moved to Hollywood. I played in a band. I had part-time waiter jobs. Mm. And then I would sell like weed and mushrooms. I didn't like to sell the schedule one, like, because yeah. I would have done them all and I knew there was a lot of prison associated with that. Later on, I found out mushrooms were in the same category as the hard stuff. Huh. I was like, ah, oh, this whole time I could have been selling yeah. snack. <laughs> yeah, you're like, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but I never I never got caught doing any of that. But that's that's how I sustained myself. But 
with crack, it's such a, oh God, it's so gross. I'm so grateful, you guys, to be sober. I'm 20 years sober. That's amazing. I mean, I kiss the fucking ground I walk on every day just because I don't, I know that I have a choice not to go back there. But with crack, it's $4 for a hit. And so you play this, or I played this game with myself that I wasn't addicted, right? Because it's so, I mean, I didn't, I was like, even to my drug addict friends, I hid that I did crack because mm-hmm. it's so like demoralizing. I mean, you just feel like such a loser. Mm. Like no one cool does that. Mm. Rick James. I mean, what the fuck? So, <laughs> so it's four dollars for like a dose, basically. And so you go out drunk and get oh, just I just have four dollars or eight dollars, or you buy a couple rocks and all right, I'm gonna go home and smoke these rocks. But like with crack, you come down so fast and you start jonesing so fast. It's like something out of a science fiction movie or something. I mean, it's mm. so immediately and powerfully addictive that then from say like drunk at 11, 12 at night, go out, get a rock. Back then, it was really prevalent in Hollywood. I live right behind the Chinese theater in that whole area. We used to call it, well, it's called the Yucca Corridor. And it was all run by the White Fence Gang and the 18th Street Gang, these like Latino gangs. And they just, I played in a band. You'd come out of the gig and you'd be walking home with your guitar and literally like you'd get fucking swamped by, I'm not even exaggerating, five or six drug dealers that would spit a bunch of crack rocks from their mouth because you keep it in your mouth in case the cops come because you can swallow it. So they'd spit out rocks and sell them to you. So you'd buy like a $4 rock. Okay, I'm just going to go home and do one. Go home, smoke that, come down, be super depressed, and then spend basically from like 12 o'clock night till like 9 a.m. the next morning just going back and spending $4 or $8 and playing this game with myself that like each rock was the last one. And that went on for like five years. I mean, I had friends that would go buy a $50 rock and like go get a motel room and some hookers and like, get hardcore, you know? Yeah. So I was kind of a lightweight in terms of crackheads, but still the, you know, just the shame. Oh my God. There is no shame like walking down Highland at nine in the morning and everyone's happy and shiny and going to work. And, and one of my defense mechanisms against getting robbed was like dressing as a homeless person. So I would dress in like dirty old clothes so that I didn't look appealing to like crackheads to get robbed. Mm -hmm. And I'm out there and like, people that I know are driving by and seeing me and I'm hiding and just feeling, Mm. I mean, the depth of shame involved in that. So fast forward to playing in all these bands, have all these close calls where we almost make it. I'm like playing in bands with, you know, dudes from Motorhead and David Bowie's producer wants to produce us. And I'm, you know, buddies with some guys from Guns N' Roses and this and that. And like, I'm having like this rock and roll dream slash nightmare you know, it's funny, you know, Corey Feldman's been in the news lately. Yeah. His pedophilia yeah. accusations and stuff. He hired me and my band at one point. And we, we were like Corey Feldman's backup band. We play like Pink Floyd covers and stuff. Oh, really? Totally. Yeah, totally yeah. random. I uh, haven't seen him in a long time, but it was just a real, it was a weird time in, in music. But this is like back in the day, this is the early 90s, where if you got a record deal, you would get an advance for like a couple hundred grand. Everyone could quit their jobs. You all moved into a house and started writing a record. And then you put a record out, do a video, then you go on tour. That was always the dream. And me and my band, it was called The Long Necks. And um, there's nothing really out there because we never got anything done except <laughs> lots of drugs. Six of us were just totally just waste cases, you know, some talent there, but mostly a bunch of addicts and alcoholics. And my life just got to the point, you guys, where it was like, 
I hated myself so bad. Mm. And I just knew that my life was being destroyed at my own hands. And there is a very special kind of realization when you know you're killing yourself and you also know that you can't do shit about it and that there's no way that you can stop it. So every day I wake up today, I'm not going to do whatever the thing was that day, whether it was heroin, crack, alcohol, whatever. Today I'm quitting. Today I'm quitting. Today I'm quitting. It's like that actually Jane's addiction song. Um, Jane says, I'm going to kick tomorrow. I used to listen to that all the time. Be like, that's the lyric. That's the most <laughs> true lyric of any it's addict. The mantra. Yeah, like it's your mantra. Like every night you're like, oh my God, I want to kill myself tomorrow. I'm not doing this. And you wake up and you're just compelled to do it. And mm. people that like haven't had that experience from the outside, they're just like, why are you such a dick? Like stop doing that. You know, if you're a parent or husband or a wife of an addict and you're not one, it's so heartbreaking because it just seems like they have a choice and they can just stop. But when you're in the throes of addiction, I can tell you, you have no choice. Mm. So finally, that got so dark and depressing and just horrible that uh, I started to pray to these like Indian gurus and stuff that my family had uh, visited in India. One in particular, Sai Baba. And I'd never been religious. I never p- prayed in my life. But one of the, I guess it was the second to the last time I kicked heroin, I went up to my mom's house in Santa Rosa and uh, stayed with her and pretended like I had the flu while I kicked opiates, you know. And uh, I had this little book called I Am That by Nisargadatta Maharaj, an Indian guru or saint. And I, there was something in that book that I just knew was true. Now I read that book and it's my whole life. I mean, it's the basis of everything I do is in that book. Yeah, it's like um, basically non-duality teaching, you know, from a Vedic point of view. And then, uh, and then I had this picture of Sai Baba who was this Indian saint that was able to perform these miracles and stuff. He would manifest necklaces for devotees and do all this crazy stuff. And my, my aunts and different members of my family, I think even my grandmother, my dad's side went over to India multiple times. My aunt lived over there for basically five years off and on. And she came back with this little picture. And somehow I knew that I couldn't help myself, but this Indian saint, I've never told this story. It's funny. Uh, this Indian saint, had these superpowers and that maybe if I prayed to him that he could hear me. This is how desperate I was. I mean, I would have done anything at that point. It sounds unplausible at this stage. I'm like, oh yeah, right. You're going to pray to some little picture of, you know, some postcard of some dude in India with a fro and an orange robe. But that's what I did. And I just, you know what my prayer was, honestly, mm-hmm. to God or to these mm-hmm. avatars that were representatives of God. My, my prayer was always, God, can I please just smoke weed? but quit all the rest of that stuff because I love smoking weed. You know, that was, I never was bothered by that. I mean, I was a total loser just on weed alone, but like, I liked it still. The other stuff I did not like, but I still couldn't stop. It was horrible, Mm. especially when you, you know, you get dope sick when you're addicted to opiates. I mean, dude, you want to talk about a shitty feeling. Mm -hmm. It's like the worst suicidal depression you can ever imagine combined with the most hardcore flu of your life times 10 all at once, you know, until you get some more of whatever that thing is. Mm -hmm. So I prayed to this saint and these gurus, and then I went back to LA and just promptly got right back in the thick of it. And then the last time that I kicked, I I had, um, it was like the movie Train Spotting. I would have like drug, I would pay drug dealers money to lock me in their house or apartment and not let me get out to cops so that I could go through withdrawal, right? 
And so I did that one last time at this shitty apartment in Canoga Park, of all fucking places. It's no wonder I don't like the 818 to this day. <laughs> I'm like traumatized. <laughs> so I'm on the floor of this shitty apartment, just taking all of these pills and drinking and just trying to get through the withdrawal period. And then at one point I woke up and looked over and there's giant cockroaches just like, you know, prancing by my head as I'm like laying on the floor and I'm too weak and sick to get up and kill them or get them away or get out of the apartment. And I'm just like, wow, this is my life. I'm fucking done. And at that moment is when my entire life changed because I finally surrendered. And I said, all right, I'll even quit weed if that's what it takes to not be here again. That was the first time I ever conceded to myself that I was willing to be 100% sober if I could find a way. Called my mom. She set up a rehab for me. Three days later, I'm in a treatment center going, uh, why did I do this? Okay. <laughs> what happened? No, 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 no. Take back, take back. Yeah. Like, I remember. Like, I, I still want to party. Yeah, I woke up in there and I was like, oh, shit. What have I done? You know, I was like, it all happened in such a stupor. And it was just this desperate plea to like get mm. help. And, and so really the story begun, the story of the lifestyle is and everything I'm doing now and the podcast, like it, it happened with that you know, that first prayer to those saints and then the cockroach walking by or maybe a couple of them and just going, okay, I'm done. I need help. Calling my mom, having her set up this place. And then the morning that I woke up in that treatment center, I had a real prayer to a real God, not a saint or an avatar representative of God, but like to God with the capital fucking G. I'm done. I surrender. Whatever you are, wherever you are, you got to help me. I'll do anything. And when I said that prayer... I meant anything, you know? I had no more ideas, no more plan, no reservations whatsoever. I was willing to like devote my life to God if that's what it took. And this mm -hmm. is someone, I mean, I didn't believe in any of this stuff. I grew up listening to Black Sabbath. Like Ozzy Osbourne was my God when I was a kid, literally. Yeah, I used to write it on my knuckles with the Shut Sharpie, up. Ozzy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I was, you know, there's no church. There was no spirituality. There was no believing in anything except yourself. And that had proved to be unsuccessful. So, so I said those sincere prayers that first morning. And this is the part of the story that I love because this is when I came to know that there is a real power in existence in the universe. Because from that moment until this moment, sitting here with you two lovely ladies, I have never, ever once come even close mm. to having the thought, a craving, nothing. It was just poof just gone. And that's from, you know, eight, nine years old with that, except for that two year break from 26 years old, every waking thought was how can I make myself feel better? How can I kill these feelings and kill these thoughts with some chemical? And then I asked God, Hey, whatever you are, even though I don't believe in you as a thing, I have no other choice. And then poof, just gone. Now, you know, then there's 20 years of like working on myself to keep that going. But that was the initial mm. gift. And really Everything now is about like applying that same formula to any problem I'm having, whether it be relationships or sex or health or, I mean, now my big addiction, honestly, I'll be straight up. It's fucking right up there mm. on that tripod. <laughs> it's called Instagram and like my phone. I'm like addicted to the dopamine hit of my phone so bad and I know it. So, mm. you know, now is like the same thing, like God, whatever you are, wherever you are, can you help me with this. I'm so compulsive about that. And I don't mm. beat myself up. I just have an awareness around addictive behaviors that interfere with my life. Now, am I going to end up on the street because I refresh Instagram too much? No. 
it's not a big deal, but it definitely like robs me from productivity and focus and probably happiness to a degree because I'm getting this like fake dopamine spike every time I look at my email or text or phone. So, you know, it's not like the addiction gets removed and then it's all rosy from then on out. It's just like the addiction just sort of bleeds into other areas of life mm. and manifests in other ways, you know, and then it's a matter of like addressing all of those as they start to become unmanageable. That is freaking great. <laughs> I was just thinking like, there's, you're so like lucky you have that story. You're so dynamic. Do you know, like it's so painful, but it makes you have so many layers and you just have so much to say. Like, you know, people don't have as much interesting things to say as you, you know, because of all that. It's crazy. Well, well I think I, there's you know, a purpose too. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, is I have the ability now, especially working with people that have had problems like I have. I mean, I really know how to help people in a profound way and I'm driven to do so because mm -hmm. I feel this, I feel indebted to, to God, frankly, mm -hmm. and to the universe. I mean, I still don't have like a religious concept of God and not there's anything wrong with that, but it's just the energy, whatever that thing is. I know that it saved me. There's just, there's nothing you mm -hmm. can tell me that wouldn't, there's just no way that Anything other than that is what happened to me. You know, I was literally saved in almost a religious sense. And so it's like, it's sort of like if you were in Vietnam and you were like behind enemy lines and in the jungle and you'd gotten shot in the leg and you're stuck and someone comes back for you and is under enemy fire and they fucking drag you out of there. It's like you go through your whole life and all you want to do is go drag other people out because you know what it's like mm -hmm. to be in there, you know? And mm -hmm. so... Whether someone has an addictive problem or just health problems or emotional, mental, spiritual problems, whatever it is, I mean, that's why I do my podcast and why I do coaching and do the things I do is because I've found so many keys mm. to unlock suffering on so many different levels of the human experience. And I'm still continuing to discover them. And I'm just as fervent about those discoveries as I've ever been because I just want to feel better and better and, you know, alleviate even more suffering in my own life. So when I find those things, you're right. There's a certain empathy and depth, I think, mm -hmm. that one has when they've really been to the dark side and gotten beat down enough mm -hmm. that you have a certain degree of compassion for people and, and an understanding, you know, I mean, I really... I'm really not judgmental of people and whatever phase they're on on the path because I know what it's like to be stuck and I know what it's like to live in such a low state of consciousness, to live like an animal, literally. Mm -hmm. So when I see other people in that, I'm not like, oh, what a loser. I'm just like, oh man, I, I know what that's like. That sucks. Like people in prison and crooked politicians and just anyone that I might see that would be tempting to judge or think that they should be doing things in a different way. I just... I know what it's like to to hurt, man. Yeah. What was your, after that prayer and after you felt as if you had been, you know, given that second chance, what was your first taste of the world that you're in now? You know, the the healing, the biohacking, the meditation. What was your first taste of it? Well, I think you know, because I was in a very traditional treatment program, the first thing was, dude, you need spirituality in your life. Mm -hmm. And so starting to meditate and read spiritual literature and become involved with recovery programs and 
and being with a community of other sober people and, uh, you know, understanding that I wasn't a bad person and starting to alleviate some of the shame that I had felt about being so trapped that it wasn't like, I mean, I took responsibility for my behavior, but it still, in a sense, wasn't my fault, you know? And so getting into addiction recovery and all of that was really the first thing that started to turn my head around and, um, and getting help from people that had gone before me and stuff like that. Mm. So that was more in the mental, emotional, physical, and a lot of therapy and stuff like that. But then um, mental, emotional, and spiritual rather. But then on the physical level, I saw that, oh my God, I'm really toxic. And, <laughs> you know, I was, it, I mean, I was detoxing for years after that because I was such a human garbage pail. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I would do drugs. I didn't even know what they were. It's just, you hand me anything and I'll, I would just do it. You know, I mean, I would buy shit on the street. I don't even think it was drugs because it didn't do anything except mm -hmm. make you throw up or something, you know, just mm -hmm. weird yeah. stuff like smoking drywall and just, <laughs> you know, just... I mean, like, Fuck. yeah, and I, you know, of course, I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. I, I never slept. Ooh. I mean, I was just like a disaster physically. So what I started to do, the first part of the journey for me in terms of like bio, what we call biohacking now and just being kind of a health nut is mm. I started juicing a lot, fasting a lot. I uh, got tons of colonics. I was very focused on detoxing. Mm. And this is back in the mid-90s, you know, I got sober in 97, and so this is when American herbalism and, you know, juice and smoothie bars and stuff were around. Like the big superfood at the time was bee pollen. Mm. You know, it's, just, it's still yeah. great if mm -hmm. it doesn't have glyphosate in it. It's a little tricky. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, there were things like that. Like you'd go get a giant vegetable juice and it was like full of sugar. I mean, now I'd never drink mm -hmm. that vegetable juice. It's 90% carrots and mm -hmm. it wasn't even organic. <laughs> but it was like the old, there was like little juice bars on Hollywood Boulevard and I'd walk down and get my juice and then I'd go to a meeting or whatever. And, you know, it was like, it was all about, it was all about detoxing and taking a lot of greens in. And, um, mm -hmm. and then I became a vegetarian because I thought that, you know, the meat was a problem because I didn't, there wasn't as much consciously raised animal food then. So it was like either you're a vegetarian or you're eating factory farm meat. And I knew that the factory farm meat whole situation was whack. So I became a vegetarian for 10 years. I didn't, you know, know at the time that I was kind of harming my health because um, there were certain things that I was missing and was eating just loads of carbs and grains and all that stuff. So eventually that created an imbalance, but it was good for a while for the detoxing period. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I always tell people when they ask, you know, should I be a vegan or vegetarian and green juice and all that? I'm like, do it for a while and like reset your system. And I reset my immune system from doing like 10 day and 20 day green juice fast with no sugar and like just water and green juice and started making my own kombucha and doing infrared saunas and cupping and acupuncture and just the ground floor basic stuff. Some of which I still do, you know, but I, I early on, thankfully, understood that I had to address the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, or I was going to suffer more. Because I went just physical, and I get super healthy, and then like I'm still having toxic thoughts. So I'm like, great. I've gotten four colonics this week, but I still hate everyone and want to like kill drivers and mm -hmm. was so negative and angry and hostile and resentful. Oh my God, I used to just hate people if somebody like disrespected me or hurt me. I would obsess about getting revenge on them for weeks and months and mm. years. I mean, I was just so mentally toxic. So, and what, I, what I start, you, oh, go ahead. Yeah. So I just started working on it from every angle. But yeah, really, the very first thing was just 
focusing on the recovery and making sure that I just fucking stayed sober. So whatever I was directed to do, I did. I wasn't one of those guys you see on these like reality shows the, what are they like intervention and stuff where they fight you know being in a program and all that I was like dude you guys want me to go to LAX and sell fucking books with the Hare Krishnas I'm in I don't care what you want me to do I'm not going back to where I came from so I had this very high degree of humility and willingness and I, I was just absolutely teachable mm. I was humbled and beaten into submission by those years of suffering Thankfully, you know, so I wasn't one of those people that has relapsed ever. You know, I just, I was all in when I knew, I knew I was all in when I conceded to myself that I was willing to quit smoking weed, even that I included that in sobriety. When that moment happened for me, I knew that I would never use again. And I know that I never will. There's just, yeah, there's no point. When you had those toxic thoughts, how did you work through those to eliminate those? Like, what would you do? You know, I first started learning about the nature of the mind from a metaphysical point of view from 12-step recovery. And and what that is about, really, at the end of the day, it's funny because people outside of that world that don't need to be there aren't interested or don't understand it. They think it's like a place where people that are alcoholics go or something like that. But it's really about changing your mind so that the way that you perceive reality is not painful. Because when you perceive reality from a warped lens, which becoming a drug addict and alcoholic definitely warps your lens... Then life becomes emotionally painful. Your relationships suffer. You become a dysfunctional person and then you have to medicate. So that was where I first started to look at my thinking and how warped it was and how I always looked at everything from a negative perspective. Like my negativity bias was so hardcore. Any room I walked into, I would just immediately look for what was wrong. That chair sucks. The lighting sucks. That person sucks. I suck. It's like everything was just automatically negative. Mm-hmm. And so I started to become aware of my tendencies in that way and how I was so perpetually stuck in negativity. And then the second thing that I found was uh, a teacher named Emmett Fox, who was a, Christ- a British guy who was a Christian scientist back in the 30s. He was one of the leaders in a movement called the New Thought Movement, was this sort of anti-religious Christian movement in a sense where he just extracted principles taught by Jesus in the Bible and sort of did away with all the dogma and metaphor inherent in the Bible and in that religion and just was like, here's what this dude taught. He taught love and he taught managing and monitoring your thinking. And one of the main principles, which I still share with people all the time that I learned from Emmett Fox in a book called Sermon on the Mount, When I started reading that book, by the way, if there was like a mention of Jesus or Christ or something, I would just substitute my own word. I don't even know what word. I just was like, I'd use the word truth or something like that. You were like pizza. Yeah, it was like, it was too like religious sounding. I was like, I was willing to go there, but I had to modify it for a while. Now I don't, Mm. I mean, I don't care. I'll study any spiritual teacher. I don't care what faith it is. Uh, But the example he gave in there, or the one of the analogies, I guess, is that the mind you know, has this tendency toward negative thinking. And that's really what essentially ruins your life and and really manifest uh, negative experiences in your life. And so he said, negative thoughts are like enemy soldiers. And when those enemy soldiers are out on the battlefield, if you allow them to entrench themselves in foxholes, they're exceedingly difficult to extricate. 
In other words, like you can't shoot them because now they've got cover. They've dug mm. themselves in. And so you've got to pick off those enemy soldiers as they're marching the field before they dig themselves in. And that was his way of saying that it's a constant witness state that's necessary in order to catch those negative thoughts before you give them emotional charge and emotional energy. So say like to this day, I mean, I maybe I walk in Whole Foods and someone bumps me, a guy bumps me on the way in and my mind will be like, oh, he thinks he's better than me. Oh, he thinks he, oh, you think you're badass? Mm -hmm. Oh, you're tough, huh? Where are you parked? You know, mm -hmm. like just crazy, crazy shit. Well, mm -hmm. the mind will start doing or, oh, I'm, I look, <laughs> I look weak. That's why he did that or whatever it is that the very first thought or I always use the example of getting a parking ticket. The very first thought that has a negative charge, that's an enemy soldier. And it's like, whoop, no, 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 no. It's like, I just get, over the years, I get better and better at catching them faster. Mm. When I have a thought, like the thought I have a lot of the time, when I get frustrated, is I, it's like this deeply narcissistic self-pity thought. It's, fuck my life. Like those words will come out of my, I'm like, really? Fuck my life. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I saying? But before I even say, because I have the most amazing life ever, obviously. I mean, mm -hmm. look at the story I just told you. I'm living the goddamn dream. I've been rescued from the gates of hell. I mean, any day is a good day for me. And uh, so it's what I learned was how to really monitor those thoughts and catch them early on before they gain momentum. So if that guy bumps me and I tell myself a story about it and I make up all this meaning, whether, you know, it could be a text or conversation you have with your partner or, or whatever. It's like the mind will assign these false narratives, this fake news, you know, onto a situation that's not based in, like the work of Byron Katie really speaks to this too. You know, she has this, the work called the work and it's questioning your thoughts. It's like, okay, so my mind just told me this thing about this person or situation. Mm. Can I really know that that is in fact a universal truth, the way that I'm perceiving this? And if anyone listening, I implore you, like next time you have a thought that hurts you and bothers you, really ask yourself from an honest point of view, is what I'm thinking actually true? And your first thought might be like, yeah, God damn it, I'm right, they're wrong. I don't deserve to be treated like this, blah, 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 whatever the resentful thought is. And then you ask yourself, can I really know that it's true? It's like, well, I could be tripping. You know, I could just be perceiving this situation in a way in which makes me feel like I've been wronged or slighted. But in fact, that's not reality. I want to like, I, I, I want to like talk more about the, the story, but I think a lot of our listeners from what we heard are so interested in like the specifics of what you have incorporated into your life that has worked so well, maybe mm -hmm. the specifics of what hasn't worked so well. Um, I think a lot of what you do is super new to them or even foreign. Yeah, I can't believe in like 97 you were doing like juicing and shit. Yeah. Like that seems like so early. Well, you know, the funny thing about the, the on the physical health stuff, and I'm glad we got to cover some of the mindset because I, I really believe that, I mean, honestly, you could eat McDonald's every day, I think, and still have a good life if your mind is right. Mm -hmm. But you could be the most ardent, organic, vegan or paleo, perfect diet, all the supplements, all the biohacking and have a toxic mind and you're going to get cancer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like the mind mm. piece is really important. But uh, on the physical tip, even when I was on drugs, I was I was still actually kind of into health stuff. I, both mm. my parents like always shopped at the health food store and 
and had, I mean, I was just at my dad's house in Colorado. He's in his seventies. I mean, he's the OG biohacker. He has a whole, his whole food cabinet, his poor wife probably hates this, but his whole food cabinet is all supplements. I mean, he's like a supplement freak like me, you know? So I was already doing that juicing and stuff. And my friends used to clown on me. They're like, dude, no offense, but you're a straight up junkie. Why do you bother doing wheatgrass enemas? <laughs> like, it's not You're like, help, um, no sugar you know? in my juice. You're like, but I'll yeah. take any crack from anyone. <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll smoke some plastic as long as it's <laughs> yeah. white. Yeah. You're like, I'm drinking liquid plumber Bio right now, but yeah. I'll have juice later. <laughs> no, it's, it's so true. But you know what I think it, it is, is that I knew on some level that I was being so toxic and so self-destructive in that period, you know, mm. that period from like 89 to 97, when I lived behind the Chinese theater was just, I mean, I was so toxic that A, I felt like shit. I mean, I was just always so hungover and just so sick and all that, that I wanted to kind of counterbalance that. And so I was into all of the health stuff, even kind of before, like really in the early, yeah. early nineties. And I don't know where I even found out about it. I guess I was just, it's something I was interested in. So I'd go in the health food store and geek out and they had the, at the health food store, they would have like these magazines that were like healthy life weekly or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there would be articles about infrared saunas and enemas and whatever, coffee enemas, just weird stuff like that. And I would start researching that and then I would go do it, I think, so that I could like prolong my drug use with impunity. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so when I, when I got sober, I had already kind of been aware of some of that stuff. And then as a lot of us do, my type of people, us weirdos that are like addicted to anything and everything that you put in front of us. Um, I changed my obsession from like, you know, destructive practices to self-care practices. And this is where it gets tricky, you know, in mentioning your listeners and they might not have heard of some of the things that I might mention in terms of health regiments and habits and practices and biohacking as we call it now, which is just to say, uh, for those that don't know that term, it's Becoming your, I look at it as becoming your own doctor, like learning how to really learn about your body and how it operates and how to take control of it yourself and manage your own health. That's biohacking. Mm. And sometimes you use technologies and uh, sometimes you use supplementation and things like that. But the risk there, and I watch people now because I'm an older guy, I watch kids, you know, I call them kids like in their 20s, like the green juice girls on Instagram, like I remember that phase. Mm -hmm. And they're doing like ionic foot baths. I'm like, yeah, I remember that shit in 91. You know, it's like <laughs> you go through all these phases and it's like what happens is it's really easy to get so distracted with the physical plane. And then you start using that as a way to avoid the real work, which is like shit you do in therapy and looking at your trauma and your parents and your relationships and mm. your sexuality and those things that are harder to look at. So I've gone through phases where I get so obsessed about like what I'm eating and, you know, like all of the health stuff on the physical plane that it's been, I've discovered that many times it becomes a distraction and you get into this sort of um, orthorexic type behavior where like, I don't eat this, I don't eat that, and everything's organic. And you're just so psychotically obsessed about everything that you're doing physically that you actually become sort of uh, neurotic and unhealthy as a, as a wholly integrated human. So that's the risk on the other side of getting too into all of the physical practices. That said, there are a lot of things that you can do on the physical level that give you tons of energy and make you feel amazing. And you also, I think if you, if you're, 
if you really got your diet nailed and supplementation nailed and you're doing functional medicine and getting your labs done once a year and you understand what's going on with your hormones and neurotransmitters and things like that, on the biohacking side, I mean, there's a lot you can do to feel really good a lot of the time. And it also assists in your emotional health and your spiritual pursuit too, because you you have the mitochondrial energy to perform in whatever it is that you're doing. So I still like look at it from every angle, but I also try to, I mean, no one would believe this from the outside if you follow me on Instagram. I mean, it's like, it seems like all I do every day is freaky health stuff to other people. But to me, it's sort of like, I actually feel very balanced about it. Sometimes I make myself eat junk food just to be like chill and not be so controlling. I mean, (laughs) I don't go eat at McDonald's or something, but I always joke like I, I have this like kind of, I wouldn't say a sugar addiction, but sweets definitely get me sometimes. Yeah. And I'll be driving home. Like I just went to Air One, just spent $75 on a fucking smoothie or whatever. <laughs> and then I'm like, I drive by Chevron and I'm like, mm, M&Ms. Yeah. I'm doing it, you know? And, yeah. then I, and then I see the guilt, you know, speaking of watching your mind, mm. I see the thoughts, oh, what if like your podcast listeners knew you were doing this? Or what if somebody sees you like not being Mr. Health or... What about the yellow number five and the corn syrup and the GMO peanuts and this and that? You're going to die. And it's like, dude, I feel like having some fucking M&Ms. Yeah. I'm doing it. I'm getting two packs. The other night, <laughs> other night I was driving home <laughs> from somewhere. I forget like where I was. Me with donuts. I'm like, mm, Oh, man. Now, the donuts. Now, that that's another level. Like, deep fried and some gnarly ass fats. Gluten. Lindsay just it's got been, shamed. Yeah. No, no, no. No, no. It's all good. It's yeah. all good. See, but it's like that moment when I'm like, I could be really shameful. About, like, I could just like, you know, wallow in it. And I'm like, I'm just going to get it over with and have a donut. And Because yeah. I'm like in fitness. So like in my mind, I'm like, oh, let me like cancel it out and go work out. But to your point, because I eat healthy 95% of the time, I do notice now, I'm sure you do too. Your body's so sensitive that when I do eat something like that, it it sets me back for at least half a day in terms of like yeah. mm-hmm. the way I'm feeling up here, my stomach, my digestion, my energy, energy, you know, it's... And I never, yeah. sh- I won't like shut the fuck up about it. Like if I eat a donut, I'm the worst person to be around for the next half like yeah. day. I'm like, man, my energy levels are so low because of that donut. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, sorry guys, I can't have fun because you know that donut I ate earlier. Yeah. And I'm like, I would go out tonight, but donuts still getting me you know like yeah, i yeah. like so annoying it's like yeah. it's like i need to do this for everyone well listen here's the thing too with the with the health stuff it's like i because i did so much cleansing and fasting for those first early years I, basically what i would get sick all the time my immune system was just tweaked i mean probably my gut biome and mm. you know who knows what was going on so every time i'd get sick i'd be like up oh, no eating and i would go on a juice fast mm. and do infrared saunas and cleansing and all sorts of herbs like um liver purges and gallbladder purges and castor oil packs and passing fucking gallstones and just like gnarly cleanses and then essentially i stopped getting sick for years i'm everyone oh i got the flu i'm getting a flu shot i'm like what what are you talking about you still get yeah. a cold what's wrong with you i was very mm-hmm. like judgmental and now i would say i'm healthier than i've ever been in my entire life and i got sick 3 times in the past 6 months like i got the gnarliest colds mm-hmm. the last one i had i was just in colorado going out there to speak at three events or three speaking engagements um at two different events and I got so sick and I'm just, I'm like resentful at the universe because I'm like, dude, me? 
I'm the king of health. No one is as healthy as me. Like, I'm so <laughs> arrogant about it. And at the end of the day, it's like, I mean, we're made of protoplasm. Our bodies are so, I mean, they're brilliant in their mm. mechanics and chemi chemically. I mean, we are a work of art, but honestly, the human body's weak sauce. I mean, this, we're pieces of shit. 100%. Like, our bodies are so fragile because of epigenetics. We wouldn't have been in hunter-gatherer days, go back, you know, maybe 10,000 years, human beings were very robust animals. I mean, we were beasts, but we've been bred, bred into weakness and into domestication. If you follow my friend Daniel Vitalis's work, you can learn a lot about it on his podcast. Um, mm -hmm. And he's been on my show talking about it. But it's just, it's the way that our bodies are now. They're very susceptible to feeling like shit. So when you throw some donuts at a normally healthy person, yeah, you, you feel it. But even if you do everything right, sometimes you're just sick. Like this week, I'm, I'm over my cold like a week, but I'm having this thing go on where I'm, I kind of feel dizzy. Mm. Like I'm sort of foggy and dizzy. It's like, I don't know if I'm supposed to wear my glasses more. Mm. I don't know what the hell is going on. You know, yeah. it's just mm -hmm. I, at some days I'm just like, you know what? Okay. This is as good as it gets. I mean, I don't know what I could possibly do to increase my health practices. I do ice baths. I do cryotherapy. I'm on infrared saunas. I do this uh, red light therapy, this thing called a juve. You stand in front of naked twice a day for 10 minutes. It regulates your hormones, your circadian rhythm. I have this thing called an amp coil that is like $7,500 insane piece of biofeedback and PEMF, pulsed electromagnetic field like a personal medical device, essentially, you know? And um, I mean, just on and on and on. I shoot lasers up my nose. I, Where do you if, buy these If things? I sprain my knee, I, I fix know. it with the cold laser. It's a $5,000. I'm not bragging. I mean, some of the stuff yeah. I get deals on and stuff, I'm not trying to sound like a baller, but know. I'm just saying there are, there are technologies that are really, really powerful and scientifically vetted. But even with all that crap, sometimes like, like ow, my back I hurts. I got boogers yeah, in my nose. You know? Yeah. So I, I think, for me, where, where I'm at with it now after all these years is like, I take it all with a grain of salt and I kind of know it's just a game. It's just like, you know, it's almost like a hobby in a sense to be healthy and mm. do the things that I do. But I have realistic expectations that at the end of the day, I mean, I'm still made of this like weak sauce, flesh and bones body that's going to have problems here and there. Mm -hmm. What do you swear by? Like, what are some things you do that you swear by? Cold showers ice baths, cryotherapy, and hot and cold extremes. Mm. Like my nervous system is strong as shit. You can't get me rattled. There's really not a lot that gets me excited. Like I'm not in fight or flight. I'm very solid and grounded mm. uh, for a number of different reasons. But one of them on the physical tip is really constantly exposing myself to hot and cold temperatures which I've been doing for a number of years, whether I started out in hot springs, you know, go to the hot springs and then jump in a cold ass frozen river, you know, and I was like, oh my God, this feels amazing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then started just, and now I really only do cold showers. I rarely turn on the hot water, you know, and, uh, and Kundalini yoga has been huge. Mm. Also, I think from the mindset standpoint, even though there are a number of physical benefits in terms of neurotransmitter regulation and hormones, but meditation like a, not just playing around with it like I did for probably the first 15 years. I've meditated for 20 years, but I didn't really have like a practice that I was trained in where I had a very specific technique. 
And then I learned Vedic meditation a few years ago, and I do that every day, at least once a day, if not twice a day. Today I did, you know, two times 20 minutes. And the meditation is so powerful, yet it's so subtle. It's one of those things where it starts to have benefits in so many areas of your life, but you don't realize that's what the change is, you know, that it's responsible for the change. So now when I, you know, walk up to my car and there's a $68 parking ticket and I just look at it and go, that's cool. I mean, I, my heart doesn't start racing. I, I don't text my friends. Look what these dicks did. Eh. <laughs> I don't, I'm just like, oh, great. Okay. It's just a piece of paper. Most of the time, I'm pretty chill like that mm -hmm. about day-to-day -day stuff that could really, used to really send me over the edge. And I don't make the direct correlation, but when you're spending that amount of time meditating and really going inside and being quiet, it does tend to put you in this perspective where you can witness the phenomena of your thoughts and your emotions. And the more that you can witness your thoughts and emotions, the less prey you are to their influence. So, I mean, I was just telling a friend of mine today, he's like, I don't know, I just feel off, like I'm a little depressed. I said, dude, just notice it. Just be present to it. If you're mm -hmm. sad, be sad. You know, I used to spend my whole life running from emotions. I mean, I'll do anything. I mean, I'm sure like I was mentioning my phone addiction. I'm, I, I know why I do that. I'm very aware. It's because if I have any sort of uncomfortable feelings about anything, I want to change the way that I feel. So I still have my ways of running away, I guess you could say, or masking those types of things. But because of meditation specifically, I do spend a lot of the time in a place where I really observe feelings come up and I just sit there and let them do their thing. So sometimes I might be sad over a loss. I mean, recently I experienced a loss of a relationship and it was so fucking sad still is. And there were just so many times where I just sit there and I'd be like, mm, I'd have a thought or a feeling come up and I want to run. And I just go, no, I'm not running. I'm not going to stuff this and have it come out in some seemingly unrelated area. You know, it's like, no, I'm going to let the floodgates open and just have the strength and courage to sit there and experience that human experience, you know, mm. of feeling pain and crying and just going, okay, cool. I mean, you want to talk about like learning how to be a man to me, like that's the definition of a fucking real man is to be able to experience the full spectrum of emotions and humanity and allow that to pass through you without becoming motivated to behave inappropriately by it. Yeah. I think that's like a male, male struggle. Yeah, we react. We yeah. react. You know, like I said, the guy you're not bumps into you. To feel, yeah, you're, you know, we're taught that you're, you know, less of a man if mm -hmm. you express emotions. And so, what we tend to do as men is we stuff every feeling, and then it comes out in inappropriate ways. I mean, this is, you know, this is the the violence that the male energy, mm -hmm. masculine energy, is perpetuated on the planet for eons, is because we have to hold it all together. Mm -hmm. And so as a man, part of the meditative practice and all of that is having appropriate times and places to actually let it all go so that it doesn't come out in ways that are destructive to relationships and career and things like that, you know? I mean, I don't really freak out on people. Yeah. I'm generally pretty reserved because there's a time and a place to deal with feelings. 
Has it been challenging to like incorporate people, whether it's a romantic relationship or even friends or family into like, I know it's not new for you, but um, just into your daily routines. And like, I, I feel like some people might look at it and they're like, it's foreign. And I, I don't know if I can hang, like I'm a little intimidated by what you're doing. Um, do you feel that energy? And if you do, how do you deal with it? To be totally honest, my lifestyle and practices, because they can be so self-centered, have interfered in my relationships, mm-hmm. romantically speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, I'm an only child. I've been historically a pretty narcissistic, self-centered person. Even in a positive sense, I'm meditating by myself. I'm doing my cold shower by myself. Mm-hmm. I'm taking all my supplements. I'm making a herbal smoothie, whatever, by myself. Everything I do is like for me, by me. And I've sort of created a life that's very much centered around feeling good and taking care of me and myself, mm-hmm. you know, even spiritual practices. So having done a lot of that on my own, I've had to learn how to let things go in the context of a relationship if that person doesn't necessarily want to do the same shit that I want to do all day. Mm-hmm. You know, the last relationship I was in, I mean, she's like, dude, that's cool that you want to go to Kundalini yoga every day for 90 minutes and cryotherapy, but maybe one day you could like hang out with me and we could go to brunch instead. And I had to like stretch my mind, like brunch. Who? Oh my God, I know. I was just I'm like, thinking that. I'm like, boring. I'm like, I'm, well, I'm like, who even eats food and has like a glass of champagne and some gluten French toast? I mean, I'm just like... <laughs> I'm totally judging her scene and she's like judging my scene. And so, you know, some days, some days, yeah, I have to go, you know what, Luke, don't be a dick. Like you can let go of some of your stuff to spend some quality time with someone doing something that they want to do, you know? And so I have, I mean, I was in a relationship for five years and I was actually to be, to be really open. I, in retrospect, I was very love avoidant. It's a Mm. term I recently discovered. I was like, oh yeah, I'm that you know, afraid to be vulnerable and open really just comes out of afraid to be intimate because I don't want to get hurt, you know, that kind of thing. And so I was in a relationship for five years with someone I deeply loved, but I still put up these walls. And one Mm. of the walls that I put up was like, I'm meditating. Like, this is my spiritual thing. And I would use things like that to like deflect intimacy because no one can argue with you if you're like, I'm working on myself. I'm going to meditate and be spiritual. Like, how could your girlfriend bitch about that? (laughs) Your girlfriend would be like, you know, you really shouldn't be meditating and becoming a better, more conscious person. Your girlfriend's just going to be like, wow, God, I feel lonely, but I guess you got to go do your stuff in order to be sober and take care of yourself. So, But you can join me in the cold shower. Yeah, right? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to get women on board with that usually. But but it's a great question because, you know, again, I think what I'm I'm slowly learning is is how to have balance in all of Mm -hmm. this. So, wow, man, it's it's lonely to be a 47-year-old guy and not be in a relationship. Like, I don't like it. I would actually like to have Mm -hmm. a partner in a healthy relationship, you know? So I understand that in order to do that, I'm going to have to make certain sacrifices and concessions to my little regimen way of doing things. Now, ideally... I'll end up with someone who's like down for kundalini and ice baths. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think, I don't think you're going to end up with someone who wants to go to a boozy brunch every Saturday. You know what I mean? I think, you know, you can compromise and, and make space for them, but in a way that is true to you so that you can show up for them in the best way. So you're not like sitting there like, you know, I don't know. I would, yeah, I would be uncomfortable. Well, you know, it's weird. I I've found there's, there's so many 
areas of compatibility, you know, mm. when you're looking at a partnership. And I think for me at different times, I've valued certain areas of compatibility more than yeah. others. And it at times discounted those areas oh, of compatibility. Totally. They're actually the most important. Like, do you share the same values? Do you're like, you... the sex is good, but we yeah, don't communicate. Well, yeah, it's yeah, kind of, you know, like, yeah. I wasn't going to... Admit yeah, that yeah, that yeah. Was, well, yeah, know. we say we say the word sex. <laughs> the, you know, for example, that could be one area where there's a lot of compatibility, but you don't necessarily sh share the same life view or worldview or um, you know values and morals and your plans on what you want to do in the future and mm -hmm. whether you want to have kids and all of that stuff. I mean, I'm I'm really learning how to step back and kind of assess a situation and the levels of compatibility in different areas rather mm -hmm. than just going, hey, there's chemistry and it's fun mm -hmm. and it's sexy and we're having a great time. Cool. Let's go with it. It's like, well, let's really get to know one another and see if we're on the same page. And and then also, you know, there's always compromise. And for me, that compromise might be like, hey, maybe I go hang out with the homies a little less and I do some of my crazy like, practice. Maybe it's only less. two lasers today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and that's, and that's fair. I think in, mm -hmm. in all, you know, romantic or otherwise in all relationships, right. You have to make concessions in order to have intimacy. You, you have to be willing to put your own preferences aside mm -hmm. in order to bond with someone and create time. I mean, I had, you know, so I have this thing, as I said, the amp coil, this device and I don't know if it's because it's expensive and so everyone doesn't have one or what. Yeah, I'm coming over. Yeah, just so you know. I'm telling you, like, all the, you, you can come over anytime. All the homies now, it's crazy. Like, no one ever came to my house. I live alone. I don't know. People just don't, they don't stop by. It's yeah. whatever. I guess I don't invite people. I don't cook. I don't really care about food. So there's nothing really to do at my house in that sense. I'm just going to ignore you and play guitar probably if you come over anyway. <laughs> So, uh, but now all the homies are coming over. So today everyone's like, dude, can I, three of my buddies are like, can I come do the amp coil? Can I come do the amp coil? And, and I had other stuff that I wanted to do working on my podcast, et cetera. And, and I had to make a decision like, you know, Luke, do you really have to do everything on your to-do list or can you spend some time with your friends that you love and that love you? And mm -hmm. maybe you can be of service somehow to them and create, a, you know, a warm homecoming and a little community for them. And for, you know, for me, obviously, like I'm doing them a favor, but mm -hmm. just, hey, maybe you could connect with people, Luke, instead of being your own little got to be productive, got to kick ass world. So even in my yeah. male relationships, if I want intimacy and closeness and support from them and I want to be able to give that, then I have to put aside some of my own shit totally. and plans, you know? What are some supplements you swear by? Like, what is it? What's in your supplement? Oh my then? god, dude! I have the most badass shit. I'm, I'm honestly, you know, like, I'm gonna just everything. brag. Like, I'm gonna brag here. I am the fucking supplement ninja. I fucking love supplements. Like, I know the raddest shit ever. The stuff that I take, you take it, and you're like, oh wow, I feel awesome. Like, it's, it's not. I don't take stuff unless you, it's the drug addict to me, you know, yeah. I'm like, unless I'm going, Ooh, damn, that's tingly. Really? I'm mm. not into it. So a couple of things that <laughs> I do every single day. I mean, there's your basics that are things that ideally, you know, in the old world, we would have gotten from food, right? So your fat soluble, I'll start with the basic shit, okay. your fat soluble vitamins, which is vitamin K, vitamin A, vitamin D, things you get from animal fat lipids, essentially. Mm. Uh, which if you're a vegan, you got to, I mean, to me, this is just my opinion because you asked, you got to supplement certain things because you're not going to get it from, you know, yeah. 
quinoa or whatever you're eating. Do you eating? take them three se- three separate? I do I do D3, but I also do a lot of talking about practices that are meaningful. I mean, I got off on the meditation, but naked sun time is crucial. I Ooh. get out in the sun, full body, cool. falls out literally, yeah. sun god, sun gazing. Uh, sunshine is really, really crucial. Where do you do that? Well, yeah. here's the thing. I rigged my little balcony. I live in an apartment and I put some plants like on the ledge so, okay, so my neighbors yeah. can't see me. Yeah, yeah like you I think can, and they then you can't just see crawl you. out. Yeah. yeah, and I think they actually no, I go out with my shorts and I sit in my chair and then I pull my shorts <laughs> off. And then I'm like the wedding tackle is like just below the ledge of the thing. Fuck. Cause they I think they have kids too. I mean, I don't you know, I'm not trying to get arrested. <laughs> Enough pedophilia issues in Hollywood. Yeah, honey, there's Luke's story again. Yeah, there's Luke's story. Can't get on his balcony. I mean, honestly, I got in the habit of that. When I lived in the Hollywood Hills, I had this amazing view. And it's like just all day sun from sunrise to sunset. I just watched the whole sun and and I'd be out on the porch just chilling like no no props. So when I moved into an apartment, I was like, wow, I really have to strategize. Um, so I, I get a lot of natural vitamin D production, which I believe is the best, but I also do just to be on the safe side, uh, cause we're all vitamin D deficient. It's just, unless you live at the equator, you're not going to have adequate vitamin D. Uh, so I do supplement that. I take K2, uh, in terms of vitamin A, I do like, uh, raw egg yolks, like pastured, really high quality egg yolks from Belcampo. I've actually Love been, Belcampo. yeah, been to the farm in Shasta I've met the damn chickens. I see what they eat. I see what they drink. I wow. vetted the whole farm, and that's where I get my meat and my mm-hmm. uh, my butter. So good and uh, and eggs. So there's that. Then another thing that's very difficult to get enough of from food is vitamin C. So I sort of cycle uh, liposomal vitamin C, which is sort of encapsulated in fat so that it's more digestible. Vitamin C is pretty hard on your digestive system. So to mega dose vitamin C, it's basically going to make you crap your pants. Uh, so, Which is the best. Yeah. So liposomal C or just doing vitamin IVs. I go to Next Health on Crescent okay. Nights and Sunset. I do a lot of vitamin IVs. Uh, another thing that is one of the basics that most people, I mean, if you do your labs, I guarantee right now, if you guys do your labs, you're going to be short on D3 and magnesium. Everyone is because we don't have magnesium rich soil. So whether you're a vegan or, you know, a caveman, you just, there's no way to get enough magnesium out of our diet. So I do something from Pristine Hydro in Laguna Beach. It's called magnesium bicarbonate. And it's the most saturating bioavailable form of magnesium. It comes in a bottle, like a glass bottle. It's a liquid. Uh, magnesium pills are really, no matter what form they're in, from my research, are pretty hard to assimilate. And it's also hard for magnesium, which is a really big molecule, to pass the blood-brain barrier, which is where you want it. Magnesium in your brain does you a lot of good. Mm. So, And it also just balances out other minerals like calcium and phosphorus and things like that. So I'm really big on magnesium. So that's like the normal stuff, I think. Then for detoxing, liposomal glutathione or IV glutathione. Glutathione mm-hmm. is the master antioxidant. Your body produces it. You can make it from eating certain foods uh, like Brussels sprouts and broccoli, things in that family, whatever it's called, carnicifers. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the thing is like with supplementation, a lot of people say, dude, just eat healthy food. You don't need all that. But the, you don't understand like the blue light that we're exposed to, the mm-hmm. Wi-Fi, cell phones, 
the lead and the air in LA from the planes going in and out of LAX. You understand that fuel is highly leaded. We don't have, we have unleaded fuel in our cars, but our sky is full of lead. It's full of chemtrails. I mean, we're being inundated with poison and gamma rays and just all this gnarly Mm -hmm. shit. So I supplement like hardcore because I'm just trying to break even. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm actually, I'm not trying to break even. I'm trying to be superhuman to be honest, but uh, I think that there are certain, those certain basic supplements that everyone should just be taking. Yeah. Now, you want to get into the next level shit. Do you? I have a feeling you do. Yeah. Okay. Next yeah. level shit is this. First thing is something called molecular hydrogen. There's a company called Vital Reaction. And they're these little tablets and you drop them into water and they're effervescent. They fizz up. And then what happens is you create a molecular hydrogen gas in the water. It's 13 parts per million, which is quite a lot. And then you swallow this water. It doesn't really have much of a taste, but essentially what that hydrogen does is it acts as a really aggressive free radical scavenger, which means to say that it's a, it's a very potent antioxidant. You know, what mm. makes you get old and gray hair and wrinkles and eventually get diseases is oxidation or oxidative stress. And what this hydrogen does is it scavenges free radicals, which is oxidation in your body, but some free radicals are actually positive. And because it's a natural element, it just comes from, you know, Mm -hmm. earth. It's not like some weird man-made thing. I mean, the pills are man-made, but hydrogen in and of itself is constantly in our environment. But it knows to leave the positive free radicals alone. It's really interesting stuff. I just did an interview with the scientist about it for an hour. And like all we talked about was the hydrogen. So I'll be putting that out of my show soon. But to me, this is like, this is the cutting edge shit is the hydrogen. And what it does for you is it stops inflammation. And Mm. almost every disease from psoriasis to yeast infections to pimples to back pain to cancer to diabetes almost any disease you name essentially when you boil it down is is inflammation so what i've noticed subjectively since i've been on the hydrogen hardcore a few times a day is aches and pains in my body and just feeling like my head is kind of swollen sometimes probably from sleeping in a field of 30 wi-fi signals from my goddamn mm-hmm. neighbors that don't have a timer on their wi-fi at night like i do <laughs> Uh, is I'm just like my inflammation in general has gone way down and my whole body that used to feel like it was kind of on fire is like, it's like Mm. an internal ice bath. So the hydrogen's amazing. You can also get, if you have around 45 to $5,000, $4,500, $5,000. That's like my budget. Yeah. You can get, uh, (laughs) you can actually get the hydrogen. No, the pills are cheap. It's like 50 bucks a month, maybe. Oh, cool. But you can get a hydrogen inhaler. And it's essentially like, it looks like a little Kangen alkaline water machine kind of, and you Mm -hmm. put distilled water in it. You put on this thing called, I think it's called a canella or something. It's like those oxygen little hoses go up your nose and hook over your ears, you know? And you can breathe in this hydrogen and it's next level. I've done a lot of that. I don't have one yet, but I've I've done it quite a few times and that's really insane. So hydrogen, you just mark my words. It's kind of new on the scene, okay. but it's an element that is timeless in nature. And a lot of the really big experts in health are getting hip to the hydrogen. Dude. 
I literally could talk about this for 85 <clears throat> hours. Oh, <laughs> We've been I, going I don't for a long time. I know, I know. We're, we're, we're at our time. We but. literally just scratched the surface. <laughs> I know, literally. I know. Yeah. Honestly, like, dude. I, I drink, well, like, I just started doing, I'm forcing Matic. I drink forcing Matic. Tara says hi, by the way. Oh, oh yeah. Awesome. Obsessed. I talked to him yesterday. And I'm like, today I was thinking, I'm like, I am on the cutting fucking edge. <laughs> With my mushroom tea, I'm fucking there. And then you just came in and talked about fucking drinking hydrogen. And I'm like, what the fuck? That's well, amazing. listen, I know I know we're out of time, but I can drop a, just, I won't even explain what they are, but just to put in your show notes okay. or whatever. For energy, the number one is Unfair Advantage by Bulletproof. These little ampules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's PQQ and CoQ10. It fuels your mitochondria, which is what gives your cells energy, produces Mm. ATP. So Unfair Advantage, like for working out, is bananas. Uh, Just mental energy. So the first thing I do when I wake up is I pound one of those things. It's literally on my nightstand. So that's good for energy. And then out of all the stuff I've explored for mental productivity, creative, uh, creative inspiration, uh, you know, just memory, uh, verbal acuity, writing, reading, just having your brain be turned on. The main one is called qualia. Q-U-A-L-I-A. Qualia. That stuff is magical. If you get on it like full time where you're taking it five days a week and cycling two days off, it'll run you 120, 130 bucks a month, which sounds like a lot. But listen, here's the thing. It eliminates the need for like five other supplements because it has all Mm. the B vitamins. uh, It has vitamin D. It has curcumin, uh, turmeric, you know, extract. It's it's got like a zillion things in it, but the doses are super high. Like there's two steps. There's step one and step two. Step one is three capsules. Step two is six capsules and they're huge horse pills. So it's like mega doses of all these nutrients and nootropics that are specifically for mental performance. And wow. that's one of those ones where... It's actually where, not that expensive. Quality isn't. Well, there's two steps though. You got to get both bottles oh, if you want to okay. really like rock it. Yeah, those would be the things that okay. really move the needle. And then last one I'll give you because it's one of my favorites. If you want to... There's two, sorry. And I swear to God, I'll shut up. If you want to just feel <laughs> awesome and feel good... Yeah especially in social situations, but for someone like me that doesn't drink, there is a neurotransmitter called GABA. And GABA is what is produced when you drink alcohol. But Mm. alcohol has all these other side effects which impair your, you know, vision and speech and coordination and make you sloppy and stupid, right? Uh But that really sweet spot you get with alcohol where your inhibitions kind of go away Mm -hmm. is caused by GABA. It also helps you sleep. So you can take GABA. It's mm-hmm. really good. Just if you start freaking out, you can just take a GABA supplement. But what's even more dope is something called Phenibit, which is um, a version of GABA that's very bioavailable and can cross the blood-brain barrier. And Phenibit is something you have to be careful with because it's mildly, it's potentially addictive because it feels really good. And then it has this law of diminishing returns. But Phenibit, you can take two, three days a week if you're going to be in public or go to a party or something Mm. like that. Like I took some today Mm -hmm. because I had a social day and I was coming here and it just makes you feel super happy and relaxed. It's like the best supplement ever. But yeah, Phenibit HCL, P-H-E-N-I-B-U-T, Phenibit HCL. You can get it from a website called Lift Mode. We'll link these. Yes. Very last one. And I swear to God, I swear (laughs) swear to you, this is the last one. 
And this one, I'm going to give the disclaimer. This is a pharmaceutical drug. If you have a problem with that, don't fuck with it. But it's called modafinil. And it's the classic smart drug. The film featuring Bradley Cooper called uh, um, so, not, not Shameless, Not Fearless, Limitless. Limitless. Something less, Limitless. Yeah, I need more modafinil. Was based on that drug. A lot of guys mm, on Wall Street use it. Really? Yeah. And modafinil, you have to like use Bitcoin and get it from India or else you oh, have to have prescription. Fuck. It's kind of next level. I think I have it linked on my site, on my website. Yeah, go store. to go to his site and buy it through Luke's. It's um <laughs> it's it's not illegal. I mean, it's there's loopholes. It's not technically illegal, but modafinil like turns your brain on like you are freaking Einstein. However, I only do very small doses and I only do it when I have something really important to do that requires me being a genius. It's not like an everyday thing. It's strong. And if okay. you take a full dose, like you will feel like you're on Adderall. I don't like that feeling. So yeah. I kind of microdose modafinil. Okay. Again, disclaimer, this is not a natural herb or something. It's a straight up drug. However, it is 100% non-addictive. And from my research and subjective experience over about five years, there are to me, I've never experienced any side effects. Wow. Because it's amazing. not like, it's not an amphetamine. You can sleep on it. I meditate on it. Like, wow. I just have a focused meditation. So it doesn't make Ooh. you like, damn. you know, it's not, it's not a drug in the sense that there's euphoria or the potential for addiction or getting high. Okay. So there you go. Damn. Oh my God. Thank you. I, oh, all right. So how can we find you? Yeah, where Tell can our listeners. You? <laughs> Tell our listeners you so can, they I'm can... I'm right over here at Miracle Mile. Like, um, you can yeah. find me anytime. Uh, where, you know what? The thing that I'm most excited about is my podcast, which yeah. is called The Lifestyle. Dude, you guys, if you haven't listened, a yeah. lot of our listeners have, but if you haven't, it's, I mean, it's such a resource. And yeah. I'm, yeah, no one's doing what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's yeah. fun because I, I get like kind of what we've done, we've done here tonight is I cover spirituality and meditation mm -hmm. and yoga and all the kind of woo-woo stuff. And I my goal is to kind of break down some of those more esoteric teachings into uh, practical things sure. that you can actually put in your life. And then I also have a lot of super geeky, really smart health people on and biohackers and yeah. neurosurgeons and stuff. And again, I, I translate their geekiness into normal parlance. Um, so that's been very fulfilling and thank you for your compliment. And then, uh, you can find my website at lukestory.com. That's with an EY. And as I said earlier, uh, Instagram is probably like my most active social media. And I do a lot of crazy stuff. On yeah. His follow his stories. It's <laughs> great. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, my goal with the stories is like, how real can I keep it? I mean, I do everything yeah, except like, actually I do walk around naked on there and I put a little yeah, you're emoji. Like, Here's my juve light. Yeah. Naked. <laughs> I'll just use emojis to make it, you know, internet safe and child safe. But, uh, yeah, I have a lot of fun on that. That's amazing. Awesome. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you so much. We'll see you in the next one. We're yeah. going to get this scheduled ASAP. But we love you guys. We will talk to you next week. Love you. Bye. Bye.